Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the BNCast. Not a podcast that can't find anything to talk about, so they pull a random commander listicle out of their ass, but the show about playing Magic the Gathering on a budget. I am Scott, and I'm joined by the figure of Destiny herself. Emma, how are you doing this week? I've been good. been very busy, but good. Um, lots of content going mm. up this week, lots of writing happening at the moment. Um, the good news is that Modern on a Budget is back over at TCG Player. Um, nice. If you missed that last week, I did the first one, which is about zombies. Um, this week will be about vampires, so I'll be looking at like, Midnight Hunt Crimson Bow cards and see if mm. you can make like, a fun tribal like M style deck. And over at Polygon, I wrote up an opinion piece on Magic in 2022. Mm. Um, where the game's looking to go, what what's you looking to do and hope to achieve. Yeah. Um, mostly with a focus on like the pro scene, because obviously there's a new head of pro play, mm. and you know, there's various promotions at Hasbro, how many more secret layers we're going to get, that kind of thing. So if you want to check it out, it's over at Polygon right now. Otherwise, I haven't done much else because I've been so busy with work. Um, yeah. I have squeezed in a little bit of Stardew Valley, and I'm very excited to grow some hops so I can make some beer, but that's mm-hmm. about it. How about you? <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, I'm good. Uh, I've been pretty busy. I had a pretty big article this week, actually. It wasn't intended to be large, but when I started working on it, it just sort of grew. And that was that I returned to the original Kamigawa block in advance of Neon Dynasty to look at some of the commanders and like how they can be built. And I looked at a number of different strategies. And one of the things I did was I highlighted how, while many of the modern commanders are generally stronger and flashier, sometimes it is good to look back for more interesting and unique decks and takes on strategies and that kind of thing so that is now live on car kingdom you can go check that out after the show that is my plugging done actually i tell a lie it's not really because in magic i have actually been back playing on streams again i was just on mana curve stream the other day and i'll be on there again with them tonight we're recording on a sunday so you know by the time you hear this Fortunately, it will be over, but you can, if you want to, catch the VOD over at twitch.tv forward slash mana curves. On the vein of Commander, I have finished my first Artisan Commander deck. So, for those that have not tried Artisan yet, it is Commander, but it's only commons and uncommons. It's something that Alex Kessler from Masters of Modern Podcast has been spearheading. And I believe, I think I have the Twitter receipts for this as well. I believe I was the one to suggest the name Artisan Commander to him. So just, you know, nice. FYI. Just that's my Stick little guys. stamp on magic history there. Just FYI. <laughs> and, uh, and it's a blast, to be honest. Uh, there's a Discord server for it as well. I'll include the link in the show notes. So you can go check that out as well. Uh, it's really, really cool. A lot of really cool, interesting deck builders and bouncing cool weird ideas around in there it's really nice yeah because we had that with um when we did that pauper edh episode a long time ago like yeah. last year now and it's it's really fun just to have these sort of formats that have like limitations in mind so you just mm. got commas and uncommons because some of the uncommons are pretty messed up so having that in limitation yeah. in command is quite fun yeah actually i didn't mention which artisan commander deck i'm building it's sir cara the bold from Ooh, the eldraine one. yes so yeah, whenever she deals damage or an instant or sorcery deals damage to an opponent, you exile the top card of your library and you can play that card that turn. So she's full of cards that deal like one or two or three points of damage to each opponent, which will then exile three cards. So it's the red equivalent of draw three cards while also doming your opponent repeatedly. So it's uh, it's nice. It's chock full of removal and interaction but also has a clock because every card just says deal damage to opponents on it. So yeah. it's nice. Outside of Magic, I am still very, very deep into Genshin Impact. It's still super engaging, super fun. I finished the main story for now. So what happens is, when it first came out, there was one region. 
and the story went up to the end of that region. And then when they made another big update, they put in another big chunk of story. And in between those big updates, there are smaller updates where they give you additional little areas or new characters or whatever. So more story is going to get added in a few months time, maybe like April or May or something. But I'm finished right up until that point. And there was a mid-season update recently, only a week or so ago, where they added a new area. So I'm going to start exploring that now after the show, once we get this, uh, this recording nailed down. Nice. But <clears throat> yeah, it's been a lot of fun. It's been taking up all of my free time. <laughs> <laughs> in a good way, in a good way. I don't I have a problem. I was going to say, not in a bad way. Like playing video games does not s- seem a bad thing. So. No. Well, what's cool as well is my partner Leanne plays it also, and I'm a little bit more towards like the optimizing my party and like working out combos and that kind of thing. She's more into the exploration, and um, we joke and call it Charlie work, you know, like uh, like Charlie from yeah. It's Always Sunny, it's like yeah. Charlie work, which is like just going around and doing the thing that no one else wants to do, which is like looking everywhere for like these very specific Fetch mundane items. That- and Yeah, yeah. Kind of thing. She loves Charlie work. I hate it. So it's good because we can we can talk about the same thing and we can it, like sit and play together. Yeah, um, you got this kind of nice thing, overlap, so. haven't you? Yeah. Without spreading nice. on people's toes. Mm-hmm. If you enjoy the BM cast and would like to support them, you can become a patron for as little as three dollars. Not only will you get access to all of the show notes and deck lists, but you get to listen to the new episodes a day earlier than anyone else. Visit patreon.com forward slash the BMcast to join today. There are also free ways to support them too. Just listening to the show is already great. You can follow them on their Twitter at the BMcast as well, and even DM them for a link to the Discord server. No matter your budget, we'll make sure you get your stonks on. All right, so it is my turn for card of the week, but I thought I would do something a little different this week. I'm going to give you a double feature, if you will, and this is going to be the double feature that people are going to actually appreciate. I was going to say, this is the one that people actually care about. Yes, exactly. (laughs) So first one is Moon Silver Key. This is from Innistrad Midnight Hunt. It is too generic for an artifact that reads, pay one, tap, and sacrifice Moonsilver Key to search your library for an artifact card with a mana ability or a basic land card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle. So, first of all, people saw this and were like, oh, this is really, really cool. And some people were saying that, like, this is actually garbage. And it's not. Let me tell you now, it is not. You're just looking at it in the wrong frame. So, first of all, if you play this for two mana, you can then pay one, sack it, get a Sol Ring, right? That now puts you up two mana for an investment of three mana total. That's pretty good overall. Well, it's technically four mana because you have to pay the one for the Sol Ring, but that refunds you immediately, so it doesn't really count, so whatever. But if you're not getting a Sol Ring, you can fix your mana with it by getting a basic. You can tutor for all sorts of different artifacts, like you can get a Chromatic Star because that has a mana ability on it. You can get an Ashnod's Altar because that has a mana ability on it. You can get a number of different mana rocks, like you could get a Cursed Mirror. Uh, You could get a Midnight Clock. You could get all sorts. So this is really, really good. It should be in more decks than it's actually in. There's so much utility on this. It's absolutely unbelievable. And speaking of utility, the second half of this double feature is Honored Heirloom, which is an artifact from Crimson Vow that reads it's three mana, three generic, and you can tap it to add one mana of any color or pay two and tap it to exile target card from a graveyard. So like I've been saying, I've mentioned a couple of really good three mana rocks there. They do need to have additional utility in order to be good now. Like, no one can really put a Manolith in a deck anymore and just have that be okay. But 
if you staple on something like this, like repeatable graveyard removal, that's good enough, you know? And considering you can get this off Moon Silver Key as well, that means you are now tacking on the ability to tutor graveyard hate. So you see how this can like have utility if you build around it. It's very much a build around, but it's very, very good. These two cards, I think, could easily become budget staples over time. And honestly, if people learn to build it correctly, I think Moonsilver Key could even be high power like staple, to be honest. So yeah, there's my double feature nice. card of the week. So Have I got to do a double feature next week now? Because no. double features out next week. No, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> so with the card of the week out of the way, we are this week talking about underrated commander cards. Now, before we go into this, I am going to have a little level of honesty with you. Nothing <laughs> is happening in Magic, right? Like, unless we decide to talk about discourse, and we're not a MTG drama podcast, because, like, roughly 40 people on Twitter only will care about that. So, no. But what we are doing is, we're basically just being honest with you, there's, there's very little to talk about with goings-on right now. Because... Christmas is over, the the rush to get all sorts of stuff done for like end of year, you know, all those like retrospective pieces and all like that's all gone and done. And it's a little bit past like, what are we looking forward to in the year ahead and stuff like we did last week. And now we're like, now what? We have to wait for the yeah. first set to drop, you know? It's We're at that weird point where stuff's happened, but we're waiting for the preview season to start, the yeah. next set. So we're in that weird sort of two to three week lull and we're yeah. just like well, what do we do here now? Because we're so used to being on the path thanks to the previews and just like the yep. brutal like release schedule. Um, there is a little window of, um, what do we do? Honestly? And, and here we are. <laughs> yeah, like, honestly, if if we didn't have preview season as often as we do, this would happen way more often and I would be pushing to have this podcast fortnightly instead of weekly. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> like... It, it genuinely it was tough to sit and try and think of over the last couple of days something to talk about this week because there is nothing like if you look at other podcasts they're saying the same thing arena deck lists are like we have nothing to talk about we don't even normally talk about pioneer but let's go through the deck lists from the mm. recent 5-0 dump like the, like no one has anything to talk about yeah it's real <laughs> dead period isn't it it's it's, it's horrible it's i think it's the worst time of the year for this agreed but with that said it gives us an opportunity to go through some stuff where you might be able to pick up some little incidental value. Now, when we say underrated commander cards, we're not necessarily going by budget, though, incidentally, everything that we're going to be talking about here is pretty cheap. Mm. You know, I don't think there's a single card in this list that's over $5 anyway, so that's a good start. But what I'll do is I'll kick us off with a good example here, okay? And that is Surly Badgesaur. So for three and a red, you get a 3-3 three, three Badger Dinosaur, which, by the way, is one of the best creature type lines in the entire game, hands down. great. Me. I did not know that was a thing. <laughs> <laughs> so, it, re- it has three abilities. It reads, whenever you discard a creature card, put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Whenever you discard a land card, create a treasure token. And whenever you discard a non-creature, non-land card, it fights up to one target creature you don't control. So, this is currently listed on EDH Rack as being in like nearly 7,000 decks. And that sounds like that can't be underrated, right? But the thing is, this was in a pre-con. This was in the cycling pre-con from about a year or so ago, maybe a little bit more at this, at this rate now, uh, with Gavi Ness Warden. It is really good, but the problem is it, most of those lists under the 7,000 decks or so on EDH Rack, they're nearly all pre-cons or slight variations of pre-cons. And while, yes, it is good in the pre-con, it's amazing in so many other places like most red decks should genuinely consider having this card particularly if you're using any discard effects like faithless looting or if you're using wheels or whatever as a way to mitigate the downsides of discarding those cards which 
red players listen to me you should be doing it more anyway add more stuff like bag of holding lean more into discard in general uh flashback cards all sorts of that kind of stuff that's what i do with lelia and that's why people are always shocked they're like how come your lelia deck is drawing 800 million cards like i don't understand how's a red deck keeping up with me the blue player it's because i built it right like if you want to you can do it red is capable of it now you just have to build differently and surly badger is the kind of thing that can do that one thing to note is that when you discard land cards to this it basically rebates the cost of spells so if you cathartic reunion pay two mana discard two lands and you draw three cards and make two treasure tokens meaning that whole interaction costs you zero mana basically it is best used with like cycling cards or other instant speed discard like thrill of possibility and that kind of thing but yeah overall it's criminally underrated um i know lindvi frank on twitter notable magic player and overall good person she has a long-running joke with Surly Bajasaur being, like, her favorite card and it being amazing. And you know what? At first, I thought it was a meme. The more I play with it, the more I'm like, you know what? You're right. You're it's right. <laughs> I really love this card. I am I have plenty more words for it, but I'm just going to stop talking now. I'm just sold on the Badger Dinosaur. I didn't even pay attention to that when I saw it. I was just looking at the actual text <laughs> on the card. Yeah. So the next one is one from Crimson Vale, um, mm. one that I think is quite good, which is Hopeful Initiate. So for one white mana, you get a 1-2 that is a human warlock, and it has training. If you don't know what training is, it is whenever this creature attacks with another creature with greater power, you can put a plus one, plus one counter on that creature. Mm. And it's got a really important ability, which is what makes it so good. Um, so for two generic and a white, you get to remove two plus one, plus one counters from among creatures you control, and you can destroy target artifact or enchantment. Repeatable removal in with artifacts and enchantments is really good in Commander because everyone just wants to play them. Um, it's just good to have that option all the time. It's not hard to activate reliably in, de- in decks that care about plus one plus one counters and given there's an emphasis on counters in, in Commander anyway. And it also can be tutored up with like Ranger Captain of Eos, Ranger of Eos, that kind of thing. So you've got a tutable yeah. way for artifact enchantment removal in white, which is really, really good. For sure. One thing that annoys me about it is that it is a human warlock and not a wizard. Because I'm big on wizards, but, you know. What's new? It's fine. (laughs) Now, there's another card. And when I was looking this one up, I was like, no, I can't put this in as underrated because it can't be underrated. It's so good. And it turns out it's only in like 3,000 decks or so in EDH track. And I got to say, it's shocking me. And I think it's because of the first line on it, but we'll we'll get to it. So the one I'm going to talk about is Manascape Refractor. So it's three mana for an artifact that enters the battlefield tapped. I think that's what puts a lot of people off it. However, it has all activated abilities of all lands on the battlefield, not just your own, and you may spend mana as though it were mana of any color to pay the activation costs of Manascape Refractor's abilities. So this, in my opinion, is the mana rock with the highest ceiling. Worst case scenario is it's basically like a Felwar stone, kind of. Best case scenario, you're copying a Cabal Coffers, a Nykdo Shrine to Nyx, a Maze of Ith, an Inventor's Fair, a Hall of Helia's Generosity, Rogue's Passage, Wasteland, Strip Mine, doesn't matter, Fetchland if you want to, if that floats your boat, it doesn't matter. It copies all of those abilities. I personally use it in my Sir Conrad deck in place of a Mana Rock because I can copy up like Cabal Coffers or Crypt of Agadim or whatever and just get enormous additional double bursts of mana. It's crazy good. It's crazy, crazy good. This can fit in so many decks and people just aren't playing it. And I, I can't see why. The only explanation, like I said, is that people see the entrance of the battlefield tapped. But let's be real. How often do you play a mana rock 
on like say turn two or three or whatever and then use the mana from it to play something else it's it's not very often it's less than half the time i would i would wager so yeah worth looking into it is it's bananas it's so strong thanks um so the next one is another one from crimson bow you're seeing a little theme going on here um and this Mm. is glorious sunrise which is a green enchantment so for three generic and two green um you have one of four abilities to have on the beginning of your turn so you see it as so, sort of like this, this, the siege cycle from Khans is what it reminds me of a little bit. Um, so mm. the first one is creatures you control get plus one, plus one and gain trample to end of turn. Target land gains add three green uh, until end of turn. Draw a card if you control a creature uh, with power three or greater or you gain free life. Mm. Um, it's just a really flexible card that can provide multiple different powerful effects for whatever you need given the circumstance, whether it's early or the late game. Mm -hmm. You can break board stalls by buffing up your board and trampling over with damage. You can ramp for development. You can also use the second, the land ability as a political thing. You can give someone else's land free green if they want them to ramp into something, you know. The third ability is essentially a Phyrexian Arena because free power and command is absolutely nothing. And then you've just got life gain for various triggers as well if you're on like Gianni Pride Mates and that kind of thing. So yeah. it's just, there's always something you can do with this. And it just seems really, really, one, it seems good. And two, it just seems yeah. easy to cast as well because it's five mana. You're, gonna, you're in green. You're going to ramp into this way ahead of turn five. 100%. Yeah, absolutely. I'm a huge fan of these kind of cards, particularly on, you know, the more social aspect or whatever, because it has a little bit more flexibility than your average, like, decent ramp mm-hmm. card or decent card draw card or whatever. It's a little bit of everything. I would sooner run something like this than a generic tutor effect because... That's just more fun. It's more interesting. It's more fun, you know? Like, Tudor is like, I'll go and get literally exactly what I need. But that's that's kind of old hat, like, in my opinion. Like, go play a card that has, like, a million different things that it does. And then, like, use whatever you think is best. Like, MacGyver the situation. Modular cards are fun in Commander. Use lots of modular cards. (laughs) Yeah, they're fantastic. I love them. Love them. Um, Speaking of, technically, I guess the next card is a, a modal card. Sort of. Bear with me on this one. So, step through, okay? First of all, if you're listening, Anthony Burchett, patron and friend, also known as Listener Alters on Twitter, you and me, we share a special bond, and that bond is based solely around our love for step through. So, this this one goes out to you, my friend. Uh, step through, for those that don't know, is three blue-blue for a sorcery that reads, return two target creatures to their owner's hands. That doesn't sound very good. In a pinch, it might be handy, but... Not great. The best part of this is it has wizard cycling for two generic mana. So you pay two, you discard this, and then you search your library for a wizard card, reveal it, put it into your hand, and then shuffle. So, first of all, there are way more wizards than you might think in multiple different colors. You have Viserysir is a wizard. Thassa's Oracle is a wizard. Avon Mind Sensor is a particularly good one. If you hold up five mana and someone goes to fe- like tutor for something, you can wizard cycle this, get an Avon Mind Sensor, flash it in, and then like shut it off. That's incredible. You can also do this with a Nimble Obstructionist. That's nice. a an instant that speed five mana cantripping stifle. That's ridiculous. Yeah. And the thing is, you can hold these up, and if you don't need them, you can go and like cycle and get something else, like a trinket mage, so that you can go and get some value out of it. Or you can get a dual caster mage if you see someone playing with some copy spells or whatever. You can accidentally steal a win by going infinite off them. You know, there's all sorts of things you can do with this. And one thing that I have to call out Anthony for being an absolute genius with, right? 
they were saying that if you are running step through, which I highly, highly recommend you do, absolutely, whenever you can, consider running Umara Wizard with it, right? Now, Umara Wizard is four and a blue for a 4-3 Merfolk Wizard that reads whenever you cast an instant sorcery or wizard spell, Umara Wizard gains flying until end of turn. Now, that's not commander playable, but you know what it is? The land on the back because it's an MDFC. It nice. is a tapped land on the back so you can use your wizard tutor to go and get a land so now it has even more utility it's such outside the box thinking it's so smart that is like 4d chess Uh, it's 5d chess seven head like galaxy (laughs) universe brain it's so smart it's so so smart (laughs) that's the kind of stuff that i like to see in in commander deck building where i'm like you thought about this you really thought about this you've put the work in this is your blood sweat and brain cells right here like yeah (laughs) oh so smart so good i can't i can't praise that kind of deck building and clever thinking enough anthony you're a genius and a legend but yeah step through real good real real good it's like a common from MH2, right? Bananas. <laughs> <laughs> you probably opened it. You probably have one somewhere. So my choice is a particular favourite of mine from Modern, wait, mm-hmm. from a couple of years ago, um, and that's Hex Parasite. Uh, so for one generic mana, you get an artifact creature that is an insect, and that is a 1-1. And it has the ability of pay X and Phyrexian mana, or black. Remove up to X counters from target permanent. For each counter removed this way, Hex Parasite gets plus 1, plus 0 until end of turn. Mm-hmm. It's a really good answer for mono black or for black decks, not necessarily mono mm-hmm. black decks, but just decks that run black, just to deal with counters on permanence, and that can just be anything from like loyalty to planeswalkers. It could be like on a Luminarch Ascension. It could be on a Gemstone Mine if you mm-hmm. want to blow up some lands and upset people. Um, it's just a really versatile option, just to kind of just have this essentially this mana sink just to deal with counters. Yeah. It is also a decent toolbox option because we have Urza Saga now, which is from mm-hmm. Modern Horizons 2. So you can get this off an Urza Saga if you happen to be like artifact heavy or just run it for value. This just seems a really good one to get. Also, mm-hmm. I kind of like Hex Parasite against like Walking Ballista as well. If someone's running like the Helio combo, this is a really good answer to that because yeah. it remains the counters of Ballista. It just also kind of offers just a good way if you want to get your life total down, like if you have a tr- life loss trigger and mm-hmm. you want to like something happens this is a really good uh, way to do that also yeah. it can get into combat it can trade up because you can just pay life to do something and then um just trade upwards and get rid of it um it's just really like it's i like the utility on it because it can just kind of mm-hmm. deal with counters given how many counters are in commander these days yeah so with hex parasite there's a couple of neat niche little weird things about this that I've been thinking about since I saw you wrote this down in the show notes. There are a couple of really, really neat places for this. First of all, you mentioned you can get it off of Urza Saga. You can also use it to keep taking a counter off of Urza Saga so you can yeah. keep making constructs, which is nice. Yeah. But also, you can run it alongside cards like Villas, Broker in Blood, and yes. you can remove. You can pay the two Phyrexian and zero mana to take ze- up to zero counters off target creature. And you've just paid two life, and Villas is going to draw you two cards for that. So yeah. it's pay two life, draw two cards. That's a great little combination. Wow, you. And on top of that as well, a good friend of mine uh, that I regularly play with, Jamie, he uses this in his Atraxa Sagas deck. Nice. As a way to keep abusing and like doing weird, ridiculous things with Sagas. And it is amazing to watch. It is so, so weird. I wouldn't have thought of making Atraxa Sagas, just FYI. No, um, but... I, I I know someone who made an Atraxa Energy deck. 
Mm. the energy count was yeah. just like go up with the tracks so it was like again nothing I would have thought of but that's what makes Commander great right you just try yeah. these different things out of the box um, but no I just really like Hex Prowse because it's just a really good enabler for a lot of things um, and yep. given how big Commander is it's just a really good one that I just don't see played enough to be honest I think it should see play more mm-hmm. so next one that I have honestly another card that I'm shocked does not see more play than it currently gets I think because people look at it and go, oh, it's five mana, but it is insane, right? And that is Fervent Mastery. Fervent Mastery is three red red for a sorcery that reads, you may pay two red red rather than pay the spell's mana cost, so it costs one less. If that cost was paid, an opponent discards any number of cards, then draws that many cards. And then search your library for up to three cards, put them into your hand, shuffle, then discard three cards at random. So this is a triple gamble. Right? Let that sink in. This is a triple gamble. That's wild. That's absolutely wild, right? So first of all, on the alternate cost thing, you can wheel somebody in order to garner some favor. You know, I do you a little favor, you help me out later, whatever. If you set your deck up right, you can guarantee a good outcome with this. In my Wart the Raid Mother Spellslinger deck, I usually tutor up Seething Song, Battle Him, and Past in Flames. So I'm guaranteed an enormous burst of mana followed by being able to play everything out of the bin again. It doesn't matter what I discard. Even if I discard all three of those, I pass in flames and I flash them all back and it's good. It works really, really good with discard synergies like, oh, I don't know, say pff, Surly Badgesaur maybe, you know? <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really, really nice. good. If, if you like, if you want to have tutors in your deck, but you also want to have some stuff that's like a bit wild and interesting and, and a little bit chaotic, this is the kind of thing to do, I think. Nice. Uh, so my next one is it's a pretty old card actually uh, mm. it is Curfew um, oh, yeah. I hear you're a fan of this one Scott um, so for one blue mana you get an instant that just says each player chooses a creature he or she controls and returns it to their hand so it's one of the most efficient bounce spells I ever printed really it doesn't pretty target much. either so it gets around like ward, hexproof mm. and shroud which is great but it can bounce up to four creatures for one mana and you know that seems yeah. pretty good right let's be honest Mm-hmm. The fact it doesn't target is better because you can hit like a Voltron player. So if someone's equipped up like a Sagada with like Lightning Greaves and all that stuff, mm-hmm. they can bounce that to their hand. And, you know, essentially they've just lost all their, you know, lost their win condition. While, you know, you can uh, bounce a creature with like a good ETB effect. So you yeah. can get like Eternal Witness back, do it again, yada, yada. Um, but yeah, it's just like for one mana, it's just such a high ceiling. This card's great. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's fantastic. Just, it's so good. Yeah. I've used this in basically any mono blue deck that I've been running that doesn't care too much about keeping its creatures about or doesn't run many creatures. You know, I can just. There's just so many good ETB effects in Commander these days in creatures. It's just great to run. Yeah, it's crazy good. It's definitely better if there are like Voltron players and that kind of stuff that you tend to play with. So it might be a little bit of a metagame call, but overall, for one mana, it does a lot of heavy lifting for that single blue. Yeah. Speaking of a lot of heavy lifting, this is a card, right? I, I. I know some brewer friends of mine really, really love this. Like Nick, Plaid Clad from Scrap Trawlers, is big on Quiet Speculation because we're both Octavia Living Thesis players. Quiet Speculation is one and a blue for a sorcery that reads, search target player's library for up to three cards with flashback and put them into that player's graveyard and then that player shuffles. So you usually target yourself and you go and put three flashback spells into the bin. So I play this in Octavia Living Thesis, like I said, I do it for value. So I put a deep analysis and a think twice and a whatever into the bin. And it's really good to help get Octavia on the board quicker. It's almost like a ritual in that sense, because with Quiet Speculation alone, it puts four spells into the bin. 
itself and then three flashbacks. Mm. So you can, however, use this very unfairly if you want to. You know, there are things with flashback that you can put in the bin outside of Mono Blue. So like Past in Flames, there's Increasing Vengeance, there's Dread Return, there's Echo of Eons if you want it. Like these are all dangerous cards that being able to just put them into the bin and be able to cast them whenever you want for two mana is crazy good. So yeah, I highly recommend trying this out. Nice. So Blue in Commander, I think, has some of the best removal spells going. Mm. Um, I don't know if it's like a, like again, because I'm from looking at Commander outside in, I don't know if that's like what enfranchised commander players think but i always think like yeah. blue removal is just really really strong and kasmina's transmutation is one of those i think which is quite underplayed um mm. so it is a enchantment aura so for one generic and one blue you get an ability that enchants creature enchant creature loses all abilities and has base ta- power of toughness uh, as a one one mm-hmm. it's just a second copy of frogify for blue based decks and these kind of effects just seem really good and it's also ideal against commanders that need to be in play for like a combo piece that needs to go off so you can just hit this and then they have to use like enchantment removal to deal with it right yeah and it's just cheap efficient affordable it's a common from war of the spark like there's always going to be something you want to hit off this i think it's just it's it's just so good (laughs) i really like these sort of effects in commander it's very very good it's essentially blues equivalent to dark seal mutation now unfortunately it doesn't make something have indestructible so they can just block and have it die or whatever but for decks that care about say having enchantments or whatever this is fantastic yeah yeah absolutely i just love those effects in commander just don't see them them around enough yeah they're very very good agreed all right so that is going to be that was what was that 10 10 underrated commander cards there we go we can count (laughs) yeah so before we round out the episode emma have we got any q a yeah so we've got two this week and i'm gonna Mm -hmm. count these just to go on our last from last week where we're, we're keeping a running total aren't we because um, oh, yes, obviously yes, yes, yes. one of us is going to be right about this so i'm just going to add it mm. to this end so we've got two questions this week um one is from ev the mage on twitter and they ask mm-hmm. so when you're over the hill from being sick what is some of your favorite recovery foods you know when you're starting to feel better and you, your senses mm. start to come back what's the sort of food that you have to burn the sickness away is it like you go for something spicy do you go for something super comfy what is what is your go-to well, I have a bit of a verbose answer, so why don't you go first? <laughs> so I have two answers, um, and it kind of depends on if I can be bothered to cook or not. Um, if I can be bothered to make something for myself, I will make mm-hmm. like a really spicy um, tomato lentil soup. Nice. With, like, just to burn, just to melt my senses, just to clear everything out. Often I'll do it with like grilled cheese, because I really mm. like grilled cheese and tomato soup. I think that goes really well. Good. If I'm really lazy and I can't be bothered to cook, I will order like ramen, like chili chicken, chili tofu ramen, because I absolutely love ramen. But I would mm. never want to make it myself because I don't have 15 hours in the day to do so. Yeah. But it's just really, really nice comfort food. So ramen or soup, something brothy is my yeah. go-to. Nice. So the thing is, generally speaking, I know a lot of people seek like comfort foods and stuff when they're feeling sick. You know, the whole feeling sorry for yourself and all that, and like that's completely valid. Not trying to minimize that whatsoever. 100% get it. I don't really sort of get that, though. Okay. I tend to, when I feel sick, I want to know that what I'm eating is generally pretty healthy overall because I know that, like, I'm sick. Therefore, I need, like, more of the healthy good things in order to help fight what's going on. So I feel better when I've had something that, say, like, 
generally speaking, like a lot of curries and that kind of thing tend to be Curry relatively healthy, out. you know, like if, as long as you're not going like, you know, this is made of cream and spices, you know, but like mm. there are a lot of different options for that, like in chilies and that kind of thing, like, you know, have a chili and rice and that kind of stuff. They're generally pretty good. If it's kind of head coldy sort of stuff, I tend to just blow it out of my face entirely, like with just yeah. get the hottest stuff you can. Just get yeah, the hottest stuff. Yeah, that's what stuff. I do. Like, and my, toler- my tolerance for spices is terrible, right? But the fact yeah. that I'm just so bunged up, I can take it because it's just, I'm so stuffy and it just gets rid of it. And it's just yeah. so satisfying when it happens. Yeah. So my, I used <laughs> to have much better spice tolerance back when I thought I had something to prove. And since I've stopped <laughs> trying, I realized that my spice tolerance has gone down a little bit, but it's not, it's not in a bad way if that makes sense so like i will taste stuff that i used to think wasn't that bad and i'll be like oh this is kind of spicy but i'll still have it and i'll still enjoy it like it kind of hurts a little bit more than it used to but i still enjoy it like i'm i'm not like oh i'm gonna stop having it because it's too spicy like this is a harder work now but it feels better if that makes sense yeah that makes sense yeah, that's that's pretty much it. Yeah, just just spicy yeah, stuff so in general. Spicy, brothy, sort of fresh is, mm. is the way I like to go. Oh, actually, one other thing Ooh, that I think I... I will add to it, right? And okay. to be fair, again, still relatively healthy, all things considered. And that is, uh, my parents got me, uh, it's right here, I'm pointing to it on the webcam. Unfortunately, podcast listeners, you can't see it. Uh, my, parents, see it my parents got me uh, Joshua Weissman's cookbook for Christmas. Uh, along with two really lovely ramen bowls and chopsticks Ooh, and the ramen spoon set and everything. So yeah. good. Beautiful. Love ramen. But about the cookbook is in it, I learned how to make kanji. So kanji is like a savory rice porridge that is often used for breakfast and that kind of thing. And you could put like a soft boiled egg on it or like top it oh, with some, so yeah. some roasted meat, like say some chicken or, um, you know, put some chili crisp, maybe some chopped mm. scallions, that kind of thing. That is an incredibly wintry kind of dish. Like, you know, you know, when you want to eat something that feels like you have a hot water bottle inside you, that kind it's of hearty, feeling. isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Hearty That's food. that kind of thing. And that tends to be generally speaking, like you would kind of, put different toppings on it but some at least one of them would tend to be kind of warming and spicy and that kind of stuff so again it still fits in with that kind of thing less along the brothy kind of side but it feels much more coating and more filling overall and that is something that i'm now starting to get big on i'm having having it like once a week while it's cold here and it's so good yeah so good um, so we have a question from Franz Kong on the BMcast Discord, uh, and they ask, while 100% a Pioneer's Masters will cause, you know, a lot of prices to go down to make the format more accessible, what would your opinion be on a Pioneer Horizons set, similar to, like, Modern Horizons that we're seeing currently? No. Hard no. I don't think Pioneer's big enough for it. Hard no. Like, I, I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming based on this is, like, introducing cards that are either yeah. new cards specifically designed for Pioneer or cards that are in, say, like Modern or the Legacy or whatever, premise. that are, yeah, that, and they're being introduced into the format through a deliberate set. I think, well, first of all, one thing that I have to say is I mentioned earlier that I was listening to Arena Deckless podcast and they're talking about Pioneer and that kind of thing. And one thing they said was that as far as like a quote unquote competitive format and uh, a proper magic experience goes at the moment, like a 1v1 magic experience goes, Pioneer is the best. Yes, it's very good at the moment. Because it's just so good, enjoyable. solid magic. Like, you're you're no longer... Like, it's not like modern where there are these, like, kind of anything goes and it's a Wild Wild West kind of thing. And But there are some definite things, like, there's always Merktide, there's always this, there's always that. In 
Pioneer, there's all sorts. Everything exists. There's burn, there's mid-range, there's control, there's combo, there's all over the place, all ridiculous things. But they're all still feeling like good, proper magic, quote-unquote. Like, it feels yeah. like modern did five or six years ago. It's and just good, honest magic, I yeah, think. Yeah, it's, it's it just is. good, proper magic. And Great. Like, I know I play a lot of combo and stuff, but, like, I really enjoy some good, solid magic like that, you know? And... Yeah, I, I honestly think it is probably one of the best formats to play um, competitively it is right at now. at the moment. Yeah. Definitely. And yeah, with Pioneer Horizons, I think you have to ask the question of, if I make Pioneer Horizons, how close is it, is it going to be to modern? Yeah. Is it just a... Because Pioneer was brought in to like segue standard and modern, right? So when you bring in Pioneer Horizons, is that just turning into like mini modern, if that makes sense? Like modern with less steps because you're introducing, essentially you're yeah. going to be introducing cards from modern into Pioneer, right? It just feels like the lines might blur a little bit. And plus, stuff coming in from standard is not too bad for Pioneer. It's less mm. impactful in, stand, in Pioneer than it would be for like having a powerful card in standard for modern, yeah. if that makes sense. Um, yeah. Look, as long as they don't put Primeval Titan in Pioneer, I don't care. Oh, God, no. That would be <laughs> horrific. No, thanks. <laughs> Thank you for listening to us here at the BMcast, and a special thanks to our patrons. However, we've had more patrons join recently than we could fit into our usual outro, so I've got to speed things up just a little bit. At the Cheering Fanatic tier, we have Kilgore Trout, 503, Max Makes Magic, The Jess Guy, The Joe Cheney, Nicholas Martin, Bradley Rose, Ian Holland, Christopher McCarthy, Anton Clement, Edward Whitney, Evil Vanilla Glaze, Matthew O'Neill, Anthony Burchett, Morgan Roberts, MF Peaches, Miss Eldridge, Minnie Maya, Jonas Kong, Jeff Eaton, Zachary Morrow, Ozan Kaplaner, and Munsu Light. And at the Stonks tier, we have Scott Creech, Simon Grip, Brian Madden, a nice planeswalker, Nerblin, Everett Brogan, Alex Gibson, Bo Schwartz Madsen, Mickey Paris, Mark Davis, Coffee, Spencer Stack, and Tom Telford. Thank you all for helping to keep this podcast on the air. We can't thank you enough. If you want to support us and add your name to this list of lovely and wonderful people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash the BMcast. If you've any questions, comments, or sweet brews, you can email us at budgetmagicast at gmail.com or message us on Twitter at the BMcast. We'll be back next week to give you even more bang for your buck.